Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our morning service, whether you're here in the building or you're watching online. Um, and a very warm welcome to anybody who's here for the first time, any newcomers or visitors. Uh, I do hope you'll enjoy your, your time with us. Do please stay for some refreshments afterwards. It'll be great to, to spend some time with you. And the Spratley family have arrived. What a pleasure, what a surprise that is. Um, great to see you guys. <laughs> Didn't want to embarrass you or anything, <laughs> but I have. Um, well, this morning we're coming to the end of our sermon series in the first half of Mark's Gospel. It started back in chapter 1, you may remember, with the baptism of Jesus when there was a voice from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And it ends, this is half of Mark's Gospel, uh, this morning when three of Jesus' disciples are invited to, to climb a mountain with him, where he reveals something more to them of his amazing glory. And again, they hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And it's amazing that we can meet with God this morning and listen to him, that he speaks to each one of us. And that's what we're here to do this morning, to, to listen to him. And as we do so, to experience something more of his glory and to praise him and worship him for that. But let's just have a moment now of quiet to... Uh, just to get rid of the distractions of the past week and listen to God. And then I'll pray and commit our service to him. Dear Father, we thank you that you sent your son into this world so that we can know you. Thank you that as we see him, we can see you, for he and you are one. Thank you that you still speak to us today through your word, and we can listen to you. And we pray this morning that by your spirit, you would open our ears to hear what you are saying to us. And that knowing where each one of us is, that you would encourage us, comfort us, challenge us rebuke us, and above all, remind us of your love for us that you have shown through your Son, with whom you are well pleased, and in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to pray now, and Shaz is going to lead us in our prayers. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your Son, Jesus, who came to make a way for us to be clean before you. Because of him, we can come before you in confidence as your children and speak to you as our Heavenly Father. And we praise your name for this, Lord. We lift before you Alan Gibson and the family as they mourn the loss of Jacqueline. We thank you that she belonged to our church family here and encouraged and, and blessed and served this church for so many years. We pray that Alan and the family would know you close to them at this time and that you would give them your great peace. We pray for our elders and pastors this week. We pray that those attending the FIEC conference will be refreshed and encouraged and return to us with a clearer understanding of the Lord's will for our church family here at LCBC. 
We also pray that you will speak to Carey Baptist Church this morning through Colin's preaching. May you use Colin to point them to Jesus this morning, we pray. And we lift up our overseas missionaries this morning too also, Lord, particularly Josh and Helen and their precious children. We praise you for the safe arrival of Sierra and we pray above all that she would come to know you as her Lord and Saviour. And we pray that you would be with all four members of the child family as they spend some time in the UK working and adapting to life as a family of four. Please help them, Lord, to keep looking to you during the busyness of family life and work life. And finally, we pray for this morning, Lord. We pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear you speak to us through your word. Please change us to look more like Jesus because of what we hear and unite us together this morning, we pray. Amen. So Sunday Impact can now go out and Jill will bring us the reading. Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it was written about him. Please do keep your Bibles open. It would be great help to me if we're able to, uh, to follow along. Uh, but uh, let's start with, uh, with prayer. Uh, let's echo the prayer that we've just prayed. As I say, thank you and help. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, your word. Thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, Father, I do pray that you would help me this morning uh, speak clearly. Uh, please would you help us all uh, to listen uh, to uh, you speak to us by your spirit and through your word. Uh, might we leave this place uh, today uh, rejoicing that indeed our lives have been changed 
by Christ. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is a uh, 15th century painting by uh, the Italian master uh, Filippino Lippi. Uh, It's called uh, The Virgin with Child with Saints Jerome and Dominic. It shows uh, Mary there cradling uh, the infant Jesus on her lap uh, with the saints uh, kneeling uh, before her. Now, the art critic, uh, Robert Cumming, uh, had for many years found the painting to be quite an unusual painting. Uh, as he looked at the painting, he noticed that the perspective on the painting just didn't, didn't really seem to be uh, quite right, a little bit off. The saints are kneeling a bit awkwardly, and as you look to the back of the painting, well, it looks like the hills are ready to topple out uh, of uh, the picture. And the perspective to him, as he looked at it, just seemed to be... Uh, a bit off, and he was surprised that uh, an artist as gifted as Lippi uh, would uh, get this perspective wrong. And it wasn't until he suddenly realised that actually maybe his perspective was slightly off. Perhaps the painting needed to be viewed uh, from a different angle. Uh, so rather than standing there in front of the picture, um, he knelt down uh, in front of the picture, and then the painting made sense. He realized that then the way that the saints were kneeling uh, looked right uh, and the hills in the back uh, actually stood straight. And he realized that actually the painting was, a, was an aid to prayer. It was meant to be something that was looked at uh, on your knees uh, looking up rather than standing directly uh, in front of it looking down. So he needed to have uh, the proper perspective. And we looked at this uh, slightly last week, but I want to kind of carry that theme through again uh, this week and just think about what our perspective uh, on who Jesus is. Uh, how do we think about uh, Jesus? And I want to look at uh, three things today. I want us to see that there is a declaration uh, that is made uh, that there is a mission uh, that's been revealed, and that there is a hope uh, that is promised. Okay, Declaration, mission, uh, and hope. Firstly, the declaration uh, that's made. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the two questions, didn't we, that Jesus asked in chapter 8, verses uh, 27. He said, uh, what, do people, what do people say about who I am? And then he asked a more probing question in verse 29. What about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus asked that question about the perspective that humanity has on who Jesus is. Who am I? Jesus asks each one of us. And he asked that question because uh, humanity is in the dark. We don't know. Humanity doesn't quite know who stands there before them. And so, the, so, the, so Jesus asks his disciples uh, these questions. And he, to help them, he leads them, we see in our reading, up a mountain. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he gives them there the ultimate perspective, the true perspective, a perspective that comes through seeing and through hearing. So take a look uh, at verses uh, 2, or the back half of 2 and 3. We read this. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So on that high mountain, they see and they hear the most extraordinary things. At firstly, seeing. 
Uh, Mark tells us that uh, Jesus, before their very eyes, was transfigured. That's a really, really intriguing term. Um, The Greek word uh, that's used here uh, to speak of this change, uh, this transfiguration, is uh, metamorpheth, from which we get our word metamorphosis. Now, uh, if you studied uh, biology uh, at school, I'm sure that some of you did, uh, you might, or just in your gardens, you might have noticed this process that a caterpillar goes through uh, to being uh, metamorphosized into a butterfly. The shape and nature of the caterpillar has been utterly changed. Now, in our reading, Mark doesn't tell us anything more about what the change actually was. It may have been the peeling back of the humanity to reveal something more of the deity of Jesus. That Jesus, being truly man and truly God, reveals to his disciples something more of the heavenly and ultimate reality of who Jesus is. He's not merely a man. He is the God-man. Now this change, uh, this transfiguration, which reveals something more of the glory of Jesus, it shines out really brightly. Uh, So bright is the light, so piercing, so strong, so pure, so unadulterated is the light that it bursts out of the transfigured Jesus and essentially bleaches whiter than white the clothes that he's wearing. Jesus reveals that he's not simply a carpenter for some, from some remote back alley in Galilee. And as we read through the first half of Mark's gospel, the question keeps coming up and up to us again and again. Who is this Jesus? And as we come to this part of Mark, we start to have it laid out for us incredibly plainly. Jesus is the God-man. And the disciples see something of that here. That's seeing. And secondly, we have, uh, we have hearing. And then look at uh, verse 7 where Mark tells us that a cloud appeared, covered them, uh, and then a voice came out of that cloud. That might appear a little bit of a mundane detail, uh, but with the right perspective, this is utterly electric. Uh, back in the Old Testament, uh, when God rescued his people from out of Egypt, uh, he used a man called Moses uh, to lead his people. And we read about that in the book of Exodus. And God brought uh, his people to himself at the foot of another mountain, Mount Sinai. And as the people came to the mountain, God descended onto the mountain. And we're told that the glory of God uh, was revealed, the presence of God was revealed uh, on that mountain. And as it was, the mountain was shrouded uh, by a thick cloud. There was thunder, there was lightning. And the mountain itself shook, it splintered. As the glory of God descended upon the mountain and the people were terrified. Now we read all about that uh, in Exodus 19. But here we see Jesus going up the mountain and the glory cloud appearing and covering them. And again, there's a voice in the cloud. And again, the people, the disciples are terrified. In just a few verses... Uh, Mark has recorded three different perspectives for us of who Jesus is. In 8.27, we have the perspective of the people, which was wrong. In 8.29, we have the perspective of Peter, which was incomplete. Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, but his understanding of what that means is 
well, slightly off. He does not understand why Jesus would say to himself that he must suffer and why he says he must die. And now, here, chapter 9, verse 7, we have God's perspective. This is the true and full perspective. God the Father says, this is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. And this helps us see, doesn't it, why Mark recorded, just before this encounter, Jesus' healing of the man who was blind at Bethsaida. He was blind, he could not see. Then there was a partial revelation, partial healing, so he could see a little, and then the ultimate healing, so he could see everything. And in the same way, we have that same pattern being repeated here. So there's a divine declaration. But there is also a divine instruction. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, the declaration, this is my son, and the instruction, listen to him, they are bound together. We must have both the declaration and the instruction, listening if we're to make any sense of what's going on. I have to have them both. The disciples, they did hear. They marveled at his teaching, but they didn't listen. They had hard hearts. Now, I, I do want to kind of apply this uh, to our hearts, uh, but we can really only apply that uh, once we've considered what else happens uh, on the mountain where we have a mission revealed. That's our second point. Uh, we have Jesus... Uh, having led Peter, James, and John up the mountain, that Jesus is there, he's transfigured. And that must have been the most extraordinary of moments. And we read this in verse 4, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now Jesus has been transfigured, and now standing with Jesus are two of the most significant people in the history of Israel. Moses, the one whom God called to lead his people, uh, lead them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, called the Exodus, to lead his people out. And Elijah, the great prophet, who turned the nation of Israel away from the worship of idols back to the worship of the one true God. And we read about that in 1 Kings 18. But, but why? Uh, why? Why are these people here? Why are they there? Uh, we read that they're talking to Jesus, uh, but Mark doesn't tell us what they're talking about. But if we skip across to Luke's gospel, to Luke chapter 9, and look at the same encounter, uh, we see something really, really interesting. It's a bit technical, but so please give me 30 seconds. Uh, and we read this. Uh, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, Luke records the transfiguration and records for us also the nature of the conversation that is had. They speak about his departure, which he was going to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And here's the technical bit. Uh, the word that's used and that's translated here as departure is the Greek word exodus. They're speaking about the exodus that Jesus will bring about, bring to Completion to fulfillment. He's going to establish a new exodus. 
And to have Moses there with Jesus speaking about Jesus's exodus shows us that the exodus that Moses led, that God used Moses to lead his people out of, um, out of Egypt, uh, was an echo pointing forward to the one true exodus. The exodus that would be brought about and brought to fulfillment by Jesus, the Son of God at Jerusalem. And there's another echo, an important echo of Exodus that we need to see as well. In the original Exodus, God raised up Moses and got him to speak to Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, to tell him, let my people go. And God sent plagues on Pharaoh and his people, but Pharaoh would not let the people of Israel go. And there was one last plague, the death of the firstborn. Now, God told the people if they took an innocent lamb, killed it, and put its blood on the doorposts, that they would be saved from that final plague. Uh, All the houses where this was done, the firstborn survived. But in every house, in every field where that wasn't done, the firstborn died. The death of an innocent lamb would save the firstborn. And that echoes forward to Jesus' exodus at Jerusalem. For Jesus, the new exodus starts with a sacrifice. But it isn't an innocent lamb that was to be sacrificed. It was the truly perfect, sinless, innocent Jesus himself. See, in the new exodus... Jesus is the lamb that was slain to allow the new exodus. And Mark records here on the mountain, the disciples see Jesus transfigured, something of his glory revealed. But in Jerusalem, on his way to the hill at Calvary, Jesus was brutally disfigured. As Jesus was transfigured, the glory of his divinity shone out, bathing everyone in brilliant light. But on the mount at Calvary, the light of the world was plunged into darkness. On this mount, this mount of transfiguration, Jesus heard the voice of his father saying, This is my son, whom I love. On the other mount, in darkness, Jesus cries out, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? At the Mount of Transfiguration, we see a glimpse, don't we, of the power and the majesty of Jesus. And at the cross, we see the glory of God revealed in all its splendor as Jesus lays all of that down to rescue God's people. The power of God set to quench and pay for our rebellion. For those who will trust in Jesus. That's the exodus that Jesus came to bring. Not a rescue from an oppressive earthly regime. No, no. But to rescue us from our bondage, our addiction to sin. Our true enemy. See, by paying the price of our rebellion against God, Jesus rescues those. Rescues those who trust in him. From the right 
and the just judgment of God. And that's not because we merit that rescue, but it's because of God's love for us settled upon us. And that's the perspective that we need. Uh, So much of the classic artwork uh, depicting the crucifixion of Christ uh, places the viewer looking up at the artwork, looking up at the Son of God nailed to a cross. It gives us a human perspective, doesn't it, of the most incredible act of love in all of history. Uh, Salvador Dali Uh, in his painting, The Christ of St. John of the Cross, shows the perspective from above. Uh, If you like the perspective of God looking down and seeing his son, his only son, on the cross, suffering, bleeding out, and dying. See, whilst we can visualize the human horror of the crucifixion, we sometimes forget, don't we, the incredible and unimaginable agony in the heart of the Father as he looks down and he sees his only son dying in our place as our substitute. That's the perspective we need. The Father's love for us is so great that he would dare to send his only Son. And the Son treasured us so much that he willingly came for you and for me. Do you feel the weight of that? Does that stir your heart? We'll be celebrating communion this morning. Why don't we use uh, that time uh, just to reflect and ask God to allow us to know something more of the depth of his love for us. To thank him that it wasn't our body that was broken. It wasn't our blood that was poured out, but it was Jesus's in our place. And just give thanks for that. That's, that's what we need. We need to meditate on that, to see the mission of God. And then, and then, and only then, does listening to Jesus make any sense at all. We can listen because we know that he loves us. God has rescued us from eternal separation from him at infinite cost to himself. We can trust him and we can trust what he has said. So the command to listen to Jesus, it's not busy work. It really isn't busy work, but it's the means by which we can have access to wells of living water, nourishment and food for our souls, a gift that's made alive by the power of the Spirit dwelling within us. That's why God calls us to listen 
to Jesus. So let me ask you, let me ask you this morning, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? Please know that we're all listening to something. Podcasts, music, friends at the school gate, work colleagues, social media, advertising campaigns, lifestyles in films and shows. We're all listening to something. It matters because what we listen to shapes our hearts. It shapes our attitudes slowly, imperceptibly, but definitely. What are you listening to? Are you listening to Jesus? Let me ask you, are there things in the Bible that you just can't see how they make sense in this time and in your life? They just don't make any sense at all. Uh, Maybe it's around sex and pornography, around money and giving, around service, about spending time and resources with people who are different from you, or whether it's on the topic of forgiveness. I wonder, where in your life do you bristle against what God says? Where do you find it hard to listen to Jesus? It would be different, won't it, for each one of us? It would be different for each one of us. Uh, But it's a great question to ask ourselves and to reflect on because it will reveal those areas where we're not willing to listen to Jesus. And as we do that, we realize the areas of our lives where actually we don't trust Jesus and we don't trust his promises. And then we'll know, won't we? We'll know where it is that we need to work on our own hearts to allow the spirit to set the biblical promises on fire in our hearts so that Jesus is more beautiful than anything the world holds out. And as we meditate on those truths, it will burn away the dross that is stopping us from having life and having life in all of its fullness. It's not busy work. So there's a mission That transforms our hearts. But there's also, there's a hope. There we go. There's a hope that's promised in verse 9. And that's our final point. Uh, Take a look down with me. There is no slide, as we just discovered. Uh, Verse 9, it says, As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And there's a wonderful truth uh, in here. Uh, The mission... The mission that's revealed for the Son of Man is to suffer many things and to die. But that is not the end. The Son of Man will be raised from the dead. And it's this hope that lies right at the heart of what it means for us as Christians. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, doesn't he, to the church in Corinth, and tells them that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, if that didn't happen, then our faith is futile. But if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then remember what that means. That means that, well, our sins haven't been paid for. That we've not been made right with God. 
But the resurrection proves, the resurrection proves that we have been made right with God. Okay, the resurrection proves that. So if you need to hold on to anything comforting this morning, hold fast to this, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and so will all who trust and believe in Jesus. We can't underestimate the power of this truth in our lives. If Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was, then Jesus is who he says that he is. He is the Son of God. Then what he says about the need for forgiveness, that's true. What he says about knowing the love of God, that's true. What he says about having life and having life in all of its fullness, that's true. What he says about eternal judgment, that is true. What he says about being able to call our Father in heaven, Abba, Daddy, that's true. What he says about coming back is true. So we can know that all the promises in scripture are true because of the resurrection. The resurrection changes how we think about all areas of our lives. If we will just spend time meditating on it. Two areas quickly to close. Uh, Firstly, justice and forgiveness. You know, are there areas in our lives where we feel that we've been wronged? Uh, or experience major injustice. Or maybe as we look out across the world, we see the strong crushing the weak, the rich stealing from the poor. And we think, how can God allow that to happen? Know that at the resurrection, on the last day, God will come and he will put all things right. No wrong will be overlooked. No injustice will be escaped. No betrayal will be ignored. And so we work for justice now, but we never take justice into our own hands because we know that ultimately the Lord will make all things right. Uh, there is a, uh, a lovely bit in the Brothers Karamazov, uh, Dostoevsky's book. Uh, and he puts these words uh, in one of the brothers' mouths, uh, Ivan, uh, where... He's talking about uh, the injustices uh, and how it's possible uh, that uh, it makes sense with a loving God. And he writes this. Well, these are the words that uh, Dostoevsky puts in Ivan's mouth. I have a conviction that the sufferings will be healed and smoothed over. That the whole offensive comedy of human contradictions will disappear like a pitiful mirage. A vile concoction of man's Euclidean mind. And that ultimately, at the world's finale... In the moment of eternal harmony, there will occur and be revealed something so precious that it will suffice for all hearts to allay all indignation, to redeem all human villainy, all bloodshed. It will suffice not only to make forgiveness possible, but also to justify everything that has happened with men. He says there's something coming, something so amazing, so beautiful. That in the light of that, it will be possible. It is possible now to forgive. It is possible now to live with that joy in our hearts. And what is that? That is the resurrection. That is the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Secondly, that's the first one. Secondly, uh, the meaning of life. 
Uh, Now, I know that you're thinking, oh, my word, he's about to unpack the meaning of life after 30 minutes. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, The meaning of life. uh, The resurrection uh, tells us that life has a purpose. Uh, We know that the Lord Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for us. So every day, every day that we have, that we receive is a day that has been given to us to live for Jesus, to listen to him, to submit our lives to him, to become more like him. It's another day to tell people about their need to be rescued by a king that would dare to die for them. And for us to believe, well... That means living for him, living for him, wherever we find ourselves. Uh, If we're uh, caring for elderly relatives, live for Jesus. Show compassion in that setting. If you're at school, be salt and light in that place. Be distinctive in your speech and in the things that you look at. If you're at work, submit to the authorities and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. If you have children at home, don't exasperate them, but bring them up in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you find yourself, each day is a day, a new day, a gift to live for the Lord and to call people back to him and for us to live to glorify him because he's coming back. And that should be a great joy and delight in our hearts, shouldn't it? So the resurrection gives us a purpose and it gives us a meaning as well for our lives. Now, as we've worked our way uh, over many months through the first half of Mark's gospel, I hope that we're starting to see with increasing clarity just who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is the all-powerful son of God. And as we turn to the second half of Mark's gospel at some point in the future, God willing, we'll see more clearly just what Jesus came to do, to rescue us, to die in our place as our substitute and to lead a new exodus, to make us children of God eternally, safe through death. And we talked about lives changed by Christ earlier on, at least Nathan did. These are the truths that will change our lives. These are the truths that the Holy Spirit we'll use to change our lives. But we need to have the right perspectives. The perspectives we need are those of humility, like in that painting by Lippi at the start, to come forward humbly before him because we don't deserve anything. But at the same time, to have that perspective of Dali, of looking down, that image of looking down, the father looking down, and his love is so great, so deep, that he would do that for us. We need those both at the same time. So let's ask the Spirit to help us now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much uh, for the encouragements uh, that your word contains. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, that uh, Jesus is your son. Thank you for that clear declaration from heaven. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, that mission, that exodus. bringing people to yourself under the blood of the Lamb. And Father, thank you for that hope that we have, dwelling within us by your Spirit, 
calling us forward, knowing that we will one day meet with you, journeying safely through death. Please, would you stir our hearts with these truths? I pray that as we come to communion, that uh, you would indeed uh, settle these truths on our heart. Please, would you uh, make your promises in Scripture alive, set them ablaze in our hearts. Would you please help us to live for you? Please, would you help us submit all areas of our lives that indeed our lives might be changed by Christ? And in his name we pray. Amen. Well, do please uh, join us for some refreshments uh, afterwards. Um, There's also some Christmas cards for missionaries. Um, If you could sign those, um, they're going to be sent out in the next couple of weeks. So that would be great encouragement to them. Uh, If you would like someone to pray for you uh, this morning, the prayer ministry team will be over here in the corner with the red lanyards and be very pleased to be able to do that. Let's close now in prayer. To him who loves us, And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.